I think we've got a great generation now. We've got a very strong common room. We've got lots of gifted, experienced teachers, and we've got lots of promising younger teachers. It's a wonderful chemistry at the minute. You're listening to the Cranbrook Living History Podcast Series. I am your host, Dr. David Thomas. In this episode, I take you back to an interview I did with current headmaster Nicholas Sampson, who was the school's eighth headmaster. This interview was given as part of the school centenary year. Nick shares with us first impressions of Cranbrook School, and he talks through his vision for both the students and the staff, which is always underpinned by the school's motto, Esse Quam Fideri. Good afternoon. David. Again, nice to see you. If you don't mind, I'll start today, but I'm going to read something that was written by Harry Nicholson back in 1985. And he wrote this when when Mark Bishop retired. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this. Pastoral care and enjoyment of games, distinct views about the value of varied extracurricular for the boys, significance of the house system, consultative procedures with staff and parents, and careful reporting. All of those things. Is this how you see as a, a common view of the school, all those things? Oh, those, those are all excellent aspirations. Um, I think also, I think the, uh, the pursuit of the growth of the mind uh, and um, a love of uh, academic expression could be put onto that list as well. But I wouldn't argue with anything else. I mean, schools are multifaceted. Part of the appeal of Cranbrook is that it is a, a rounded, multidimensional place. So if you're um, creating relationships between teacher and taught that are based upon experiences drawn from a variety of great humane fields, and that's a list of great humane fields, that's wonderful. I think in terms of reporting, uh, there's scope too for uh, fleshing that out now. Reporting needs to be honest. I think that sort of since Harry wrote that, there's been a, a slew of forces uh, which have come across as removing our capacity to be honest in our reporting. I don't think uh, I don't think schools these days report particularly well. I think we have systems that are robbed of the humane element. Uh, so we've got to think about that. One way round it is to ask students to report more fully upon themselves. So uh, I wouldn't quarrel with anything that Harry wrote, uh, but I would add some things too. When, when I first came there, and Harry reminded me, or I hadn't forgotten, but he reminded me this morning, that we as a staff used to get together at least once a term, everybody in the senior school, mm-hmm. you know, of all departments, and we would discuss all boys in one afternoon. Yep. And we would go through, yes. and we, would, we wouldn't finish until six or seven at night. Yes. And I was given the, um, the task to begin with of typing it out, the list of boys, whose names were sent to me, hmm. who were requiring of more, you know, conversation. And he felt that that was one way of getting that humane aspect and better reporting hmm. and coming back to what, what you just said. What do you think? Uh, I started my school career in a school that had similar meetings. They were incredibly helpful and very, very good. Um, they've gone the way of all flesh because of the growth of numbers. I mean, to sit and go through 
a thousand boys on the senior school site would be challenging. And also because uh, the pace of life in schools has risen to such a degree that it's hard to find time to meet at all. And in fact, sometimes meetings are resented. So um, yeah, I think uh, that's, that's a wonderful idea. We have to find different ways. Mm. Um, and uh, as you possibly remember also, those meetings gave a platform to the garrulous. Uh, and people who were expert in talking about young people weren't always expert in caring for them. That's true. That's true. And I should add one other thing, one major change since 1985, although it was in train in 1985, is examinitis. Um, I think the rise of measurement, uh, and particularly academic measurement, has changed many dynamics in schools, some of them for the worse. And you know, I think the last time we spoke, I mentioned my own particular hero uh, as a headmaster, who was Tommy Garnett. And Tommy wrote a beautiful piece in the 1950s about examinitis, about the perils of having to teach to the, the paper, mm. having to anticipate the question, limiting your discourse with young people about the creation of a good answer under exam conditions. That's also a major negative development. In some ways, of course, it, it has made schools more transparent and accountable as it was designed to do, but in other ways, it limits that sort of beautiful breadth that I think we would all endorse as being the kernel of the Cranbrook nut. May I ask you a question then? If, mm. um, if, if I set my year 12 <clears throat> ancient history students an exam on, for three hours with four questions which they have to do for the high school certificate, but I said to them, if you wrote only one answer, on one of those four questions, would that be acceptable? I think as an aspiration, that would be mm. magnificent. Mm. But you have to, and you would understand this dilemma yourself very much, you have also to prepare and be fair to people, given that society now puts so much emphasis upon uh, examination results. So uh, it would be a great thing to offer them the opportunity to write the three hours, but not necessarily substituting that for exam practice so that they can acquire the skills necessary to perform well under exam conditions. So this is That's an this, aspiration. It's an aspiration. And, and mm. yeah, that is, um, it's a great discussion to have because uh, before we move away from the whole position of the great teacher, you've worked in America, you know how it works there. Teachers write courses. You know, departments don't have that form of pressure, the pressure of external examination systems to the same degree. They are therefore free to indulge with discipline, with discipline, their intellectual uh, enthusiasms and just transmit those to young people, which is something that's being lost as an aspiration in our system. Of course. Um, but uh, you've also got to recognize reality, which is that you know, increasingly... Um, Universities, employers, parents, uh, the wider world at large looks at that number and regards it as sacrosanct. Mm. Harry Nicholson also suggested in 1985 that a visit to Marlborough College should be a common concern. A common concern? As in, everyone should go. Hmm. Any thoughts? <laughs> uh, I think looking at other schools is a fabulous thing. Uh, 
I think the Marlborough-Cranbrook connection is remarkable. It goes back to 1917 uh, with Justice Harvey, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the DNA has always been present. I think it received a massive boost with Brian Home, who I think lifted various principles of Marlborough practice and brought them here, uh, amongst them the primacy of the house system. So uh, Marlborough is a wonderful example, but Marlborough could also benefit from coming to look at Cranbrook. It ought to be part of a conversation amongst institutions of shared values, I think. And I hope we can promote that sort of activity. Um, there are also real points of difference. I mean, Marlborough is a co-educational, fully boarding school, 13 to 18, in a small country town. So Cranbrook is a single-sex city school uh, with a minority of boarding in a, a major conurbation. There are differences, but but there are also these beautiful symmetries and wonderful sympathies. So, built on that, uh, what what do you think of teacher exchanges? I think they're they're great, um, uh, and I think they're under attack because the world has shrunk. Um, you undertook an exchange. I undertook an exchange. Uh, in those days, travel was more expensive, more logistically challenging. You had to commit for a long period. Now, you know, people jet off to look at other countries for two weeks, even in a different hemisphere. And I think there isn't that sort of personal investment um, that promotes the whole idea of, of long-term exchange. If we could get it back, I think that would be wonderful. Um, but you, again, your younger colleagues zip around the world in the most remarkable way. School tours go around the world. There are fewer surprises. So um, uh, I, I would support anybody seeking an exchange. Mm. But it's not the same dynamic. No, it's not the same dynamic. Could you tell us very, very quickly uh, what were your first impressions when you came to Cranbrook? Mm. Um. When I came to visit or when I came no, to when work? No, when you came to work. When I came to work. Well, first of all, uh, a very happy place. Uh, and secondly, a great-hearted place. Um, I tried to spend time with the Year 12 students when I first arrived here, although they only had a term to go. I came in the middle of the year in 2012. And they were wonderful guides to the whole Cranbrook view. They didn't have a vested interest. Uh, they spoke with great warmth about the school. They offered some constructive criticisms. Um, and it was good to see the school through their eyes. Um, it seemed to me at that point um, that as with the advent of any new person in the chair, um, it was a time to take stock and a time to readjust the balance. And I thought that one of the things that was required was to restore the primacy of the classroom exchange as the highest priority. Now, yeah, interestingly, I think in Harry's uh, list that you just referred to, the classroom didn't feature prominently. No. Um, and yet, and yet, for him, it was so important. Hmm. Oh yeah, but he probably took it as a given. Yes, uh, and great teachers do. Great teachers do. 
But if you um, allow uh, a move away from the stated primacy of the classroom exchange, you can fur some lines in, 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 in some areas and with some people. So it struck me that that was something that we needed to readjust. Now, I may have been also um, overcolored by the fact that that year 12 group, although they were full of wonderful people, didn't do particularly well at HSC level. So we suffered some poor results. Now, I've just told you that we shouldn't set too much store by external measures. But when you can see that um, there's been a dip in performance, you should be self-critical. So um, alongside all of the wonderful, warm, humane things, uh, there was a sense too that we could just sharpen or the uh, academic focus a little, or tighten the strings, or whichever metaphor you want to use. Do you do you think that in the world that we live in, and becoming even more complex and more liberal, that students can be self-disciplined at this age? I think that's our job now. Mm. Uh, you're absolutely right. There are all sorts of influences that lead you to value instant gratification, results, um, reward as being the natural way of things when that's an anti-humane view. I think increasingly the school must encourage and enable young people to take ownership of their own intellectual destiny and their own future as characters. Though, I mean, we live in a disposable world. It's being disposed of before our eyes, which is very, very sad. Um, uh, young people are starved of intergenerational conversation. You know, this is a conversation factory. We ought to be packing their lives with as much discourse intergenerational amongst themselves as we can. And we've got to balance the, um, the whole use of technology uh, with our opportunity to bring humanity into the lives of these young people. They've got, they've got technolo technological opportunity when they go home in their bedrooms on their own, for goodness sake. Um, technology is great, by the way, if it enhances conversation. But one of the aims of that conversation must be the, the gradual handing over of discipline into self-discipline. Great schools do that. You have to prepare people to face the buffets of the storm outside, uh, and you do that by gradually strengthening them in, in various kind ways. So those those conversations have to be had with their peers and with us, with great teachers. And so therefore we need to cherish, nurture teachers. Don't oh, we? Good, goodness me, yes. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. And encourage them to mm. teach in that way as well. Yes. And increasingly, mm. um, our, the major challenge for us as a school will be to recruit, sustain, value, cherish, develop um, uh, the, the best teaching force we can. People who are committed to the rounded view. Mm. Um, and we also need to campaign uh, to restore, the again, the primacy, to overuse that word, the primacy of conversation as an educational medium. Uh, you know, when Anthony Bray went off to look at the Harkness methodology that you, that you know very well, um, he saw how conversation 
can involve preparation on the student's behalf. It, it involves a sort of beautiful choreographic ring mastering by the teacher so that the conversation <coughs> is shepherded along the desired route. But the students themselves can, with encouragement and shaping, come to the necessary conclusions. So you move through the entire liberal educational process, proper preparation, proper participation, proper sharing of the fruits. Um, and these days we can easily inject, and we should inject, technology where that helps the discourse. Uh, but, but we shouldn't um, sacrifice that human interchange on the altar of technological glitz. We shouldn't do that because these youngsters are blinded by glitz all the time. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that if they listen to the siren voices outside the school and they think that every value is endorsed by Hollywood, that every human uh, attainment can be achieved without practice and preparation and rehearsal and you know, the, the cold, hard, selfish slog that goes into making yourself something, then they're going to be defeated when they leave this place and they face the challenges laid down by the hungry people of societies where education is not an entitlement. Mm -hmm. So you know, we, we, we don't want to sell them short as humane, rounded beings or as competitors. Uh, all, all imperatives lead you to think that uh, we've got to shape them, we've got to develop them, we've got to listen to them, we've got to talk with them, uh, and we've got to converse, converse, converse. So, so how, do we, how do we make sure that those who are standing in front of them are able to do that? Well, we have to begin the conversation amongst ourselves. And uh, I'm really pleased that the beginning Nick Carter has made to that work. We've, we've recognized the need and we've created a post which is uh, purely aimed at stimulating excitement about the best job in the human experience. Um, because we can't take things for granted um, and there's an awful lot of negative uh, terminology about teaching. Um, we've got to rediscover the joy and the excitement of it. Mm. And you know, partly, some of the forces we've been talking about have killed that joy, or not killed it, but re reduced it, reduced it. Mm. Uh, let's put some joy back into it. To put joy back into it, you've got to put trust back into it. You've got to trust your teachers. Um, you've also got to find those for whom teaching is a vocation, not a convenience. Um, and uh, you know, that, that's sometimes mm. testing. <clears throat> uh, but I think we've got a great generation now. We've got a very strong common room. We've got lots of gifted, experienced teachers, and we've got lots of promising younger teachers. It's a wonderful chemistry at the minute. Very good mix, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Last time we, you, you spoke about the Only Connect mm. contest. Yeah. Um, how do you see us winning that Only Connect contest? The Only Connect contest is about community. Um, if, if you read what Forster was saying and when he said it right, you know, he was saying, you, know, you take away the givens of, of, of 
blind faith in religion. And human beings have to chart their own course and discover their own North Star. So connecting with other people, moving beyond uh, the cell of selfhood, is what it's all about. It's using your intelligence to be compassionate. It's using your compassion to be intelligent. And if that is our sole duty, then there can be no better um, motto for an educational college of teachers. So um, encouraging people to rise beyond the limits of the self and to connect with other people intellectually, uh, emotionally, charitably um, those are very very important things now of course only connect can also be taken to be a technological thing because in some ways um, current generations of young people are brilliantly connected they're far more connected than we ever were um, they're never alone but it's the nature of that connection that leads you to ask questions that's not to denigrate progress which has been a huge and wonderful thing, uh, but it's it's to just note the loss of depth and to think about what we can do about that. Now, mm. elsewhere I've said that we've become a, a surfing society and we need to be a diving society as well. Um, so you need to go beneath the surface, beneath surface connection, and only connect must carry uh, an injunction to explore as well. Mm. Thank you. I, I like that. Um, where where do you think the the soul of the school resides? Um, I think the soul of the school. It's a wonderful phrase. I, I think the soul of the school, on the whole, is in the shared characteristics that unite and bond generations of Cranbrookians. Um, and we come back to the perception, and I hope this is an arrogant one, that the school does without stereotypes. It does not aim to produce somebody who fits neatly into our mould. There is a real sense that you can be properly true to yourself, not indulgent, but properly true to yourself here. I hope that is the soul of the school. I hope so too. I'm pretty sure it is. Mm. That's the way I see it. Um, personally, so far, um, what do you think you have been your achievements here at Cranbrook in the past five years? I'm very happy for other people to judge those. <laughs> I, mean, I hear a lot of talk. And I know that you, you wouldn't be arrogant because I know that's not you, but what do you think? You know, what, what, I'm sorry, you were going to say, you hear people say... Well, people in my profession use the legacy word a lot, but, mm. but I think that's overplayed mm. because you, just, you simply seek to leave the school stronger than you found it. Mm. And... The best legacy I could leave would be a, a vibrant, um, bubbly, positive common room. Yeah, great. Because if you have that, you can do anything. Um, it's not always easy to achieve that aim, uh, and it's very difficult to sustain it because uh, people change and circumstances change, and, and so on. But um, really, if you come back to the fact that conversation is the most important thing, you know, I've got to be able to think, 
who am I asking to lead those conversations? And really, if you've got great people, uh, the school zings. <laughs> so uh, if, uh, we can have glitz, we can have buildings, we can have developments, we can have financial returns, we can have great exam results. But what I say to prospective parents is you can sense the atmosphere within the school within 30 seconds. Uh, and it's, it's, that, it's that bubble, it's that shine in the eye, it's that willingness to look you in the eye. And all of this is sort of pseudo-liberal waffle, of course. It's immeasurable. But my God, it's important. It is important. Hmm. Do you like being an administrator? I wouldn't class myself as an administrator. Mm -hmm. so, but it's very unlike you to be insulting in that way. <laughs> but you administer the school. I hope I lead it. You do but, lead it. But, yes, I know you do lead it. Uh, I, I, uh, I think but, many people would take exception to the view that I administer it. Okay. Uh, um, other people help with that. Mm. You probably know there's a famous story of uh, the headmaster of Downside who was at a conference. He went to lots of conferences. And when he was there, somebody said, um, when you were speaking at these things, who's running the school? And he said, the same people who run it when I'm there. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, it, it is a team effort. It yes, really that, is a team effort. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, in, in this work and on the dinner party circuit, there is this simplification of it all, that it all comes down to personality and history and drive and patriarchy and all of that. Well, to a degree it does, um, but that degree is over-egged because that underplays what you do, mm. you know, what others do, um, and it'll be you that people are talking about in 40 years' time. It won't be me. Not sure if I agree with that, but... Well, uh, you, talk to, you talk to anybody. I think we've had this conversation before. You talk to anybody about uh, turning points in their lives. And before long, the conversation comes to a teacher or teachers who spotted a moment of need or a new avenue or a moment of readiness. Um, that's why it's such a great job. I don't often get to do that. In fact, it's one of the regrets of my position that, that yeah, I think we said last time, I, I couldn't believe you got paid for teaching. Um, and I've now given it up. For administration or leadership or whatever I'm doing. Leadership. Personal question. Mm. Who is the essential you, the Nicholas Samson? Who are you? Yeah, that, that's a pretty personal question. Um, don't answer it if you don't want to. I mean, I'm just... Well, you know. well I, I'm talking about myself. There's an invitation to talk about myself. Yes, I'm very happy to do that. Yes, talk about a very captive audience here. I can... Yes. Uh, um, I'm told I'm very hard to read, which is good, isn't it? I mean, a, a good book should be hard to read. Yes. Um, but you know, I come from a very different world. I grew up in social housing. I, um, my, my father sold tickets at a railway station for 40 years. Um, we had a very happy home life, but it was one that was limited. Uh, I, I went to a a highly academically selective school. That's not bragging, because I don't think it was a good school. I think it was a school that coasted on its intake and didn't enrich their horizons. And through a series of lucky accidents, I've had the chance to look at wider horizons. So I know how lucky I've been, but I also know how many people have had their constraints 
limit um, uh, their, their, their limits confirmed by schools uh, and not expanded by them. So I hope that in professional terms, what's happened to me as a person uh, has given me an understanding of the need to ensure that places like this open horizons for people. They don't just confirm. I think one of the nastiest phrases in the English language is finishing school. How can you finish people at school? How can you have a school that finishes anything? Um, and I think you and I have used the phrase before, starting school. Uh, a great school is a starting school that lets you go. I don't know if you want me to talk anything more about myself. No, no, no. I was just, I'm just interested. I mean, it's um, when I, uh, um, we can talk about the school history now, but uh, as I'm writing the last 25 years, um, it's an interesting conundrum for me to know how to start the chapter on you. And I've started it three or four times, and so therefore I'm, I'm fishing. Okay. Okay, well, look, uh, good luck. Um, uh, uh, I think in terms of schools and school histories, there's a fairly clear swing of the pendulum usually. Mm. that you move from consolidator, and that's a very important role, to agent of change, back to consolidator, back to agent of change. I don't know if that works with the Cranbrook story, but it works in most <coughs> No, no, it does. Yeah, the, the, and I think Jeremy was a brilliant um, force for building community and building a sense of connectedness. Um, there was a sense when I came in that things would need to be slightly different. Uh, certainly that was the view expressed to me by a number of people I trust um, and that's not to denigrate in, in any way what was happening before but we've had an awful lot of staff change as you know we've 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 gone through a lot of renewal um, it's not always been comfortable uh, and I don't think I'm a comfortable person either and I'll go back to Harry again Harry interestingly enough he alluded to the fact that Hone was totalitarian. Do you think most headmasters have to be not totalitarian, but strong and aggressive or compact and you'll do this and you'll do that to get things done or not? Um, I think the model has changed a little bit. Mm. Um, I think... Uh, there were times when, looking back, you you did have immense personal centrality uh, as a head. You um, uh, were working with smaller communities. You were teaching. You were leading by example. You were shaping on the front line. Uh, I think scale and a number of other influences have combined to make the job very different. Now, there's been some loss with that and some gain. The losses, I think, the people are, you know, people, uh, are trusted far more to get on with things and to do things. Uh, and collegiate leadership seems to me to be um, morally sound. Yeah, you need like-minded people who share values driving things. Distributed leadership, I think, is the is the cliche. Mm. Um, but the so, so you're much more a sort of 
Mike Brearley type these days than a Don Bradman. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, that that you, you've got to get the best out of your team, where it's, argu- it's arguable that Bradman was not about that very much. Um, I may have got that wrong. Uh, so I think there have been some changes. Um, and I think um, in the past, the omnipotence of the head figure could also be quite dangerous at times. Um, you remember the great ones, you don't remember the bad ones. No, um, you don't. And they could take places into very dark mm. uh, areas. That's interesting. Makes me think. It gives me another idea, you know, a bit about the school history and where it goes and what's mm. happened and mm. where we're going to. School governance, as you see it and as you lead the school, has become totally focused upon the headmaster, really. And I know that you, you know, well, Jeremy did, and you've picked up the same model of creating deputy head, head of the senior school, who does most of the the day-to-day work apropos of that story about the headmaster of Downside. Um, do you see that as a great benefit to you? I mean, that's as in that allows you to do other things and lead? Um, governance is a, is a huge set of conundrums. Uh, we we here require a huge amount of our council in terms of time and effort. There is a triangulation of everything we do. Uh, we're lucky we've got very many um, helpful witnesses who will comment on what we do. Uh, and the council is left with the task of ensuring that we're doing the right thing well um, and ensuring the future prosperity and health of this place. Um, We've also been very lucky uh, to have um, people who are ambitious for the future who've been willing to help us. So we've got a very active core of the council. Um, At a time of renewal, um, that is taking up a lot of their time and quite a lot of mine. I think it's part of my role. Uh, together with the Chief Operating Officer, to act as the nexus between the school and council, uh, or the, the convict, um, and to, to try to ensure that the line between governance and management is walked carefully. And that's not always easy. Um, around Sydney, you see boards um, and schools that have come to grief uh, quite a lot recently. Uh, so you've, you've got local conditions that aren't always helpful. The council's always been incredibly supportive to me here. Uh, that's through the odd storm and downpour as well as the sunny time. Uh, and that's something to be grateful for. Mm. Very interesting. Thank you. I don't think I have much else. Um, I mean, look, I've got a lot of things. I mean, I'd like to talk to you more about... Uh, and I spoke to Roger about uh, Walgan Valley, which is something that's dear to your heart and uh, and to many of us, and, mm-hmm. and we all like those things. And I know you see the great value in that, you know, mm-hmm. and you've said that to us before about Cranbrook and the Field and Walgan Valley, and it's just so exciting that it's up and going. You know. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. And look, mm. uh, I hope you know the story. David Hull found that place. He, he found it. He, he, we, we were looking at various um, possibilities. He found that place. And you know the story of the Emirates Resort? Well, there are a number of stories, but no, please tell me. Well, I'll tell you because it, it, it shines a light on why we chose that place. Um, I believe that the Emirates Resort were looking to put, uh, or the Emirates Airline were looking to put a resort into Australia. They'd found some coastal sites. Uh, they decided they'd fly their chairman up from Sydney to look at the coastal sites, because that's what you do in Australia. Um, the chairman was a geologist, and as he was flying over Wagon Valley, he said, what's that down there? Uh, and he insisted on going to visit it, and that's a bit why. Um, Wonderful. No, I haven't heard that story. Uh, and you know that Darwin mm. went there twice. Mm. He went there twice. So we're there because it is a, it's really a place of exceptional and startling importance and beauty. And it's also a chance to take, progressively to take people away from the urban culture, just for a period, just for a period, uh, and to ask them to divorce themselves from the uh, cocoon of comfort that they uh, live in. Uh, and that will be incredibly important for us. And I'm also delighted that uh, Nick Carter and uh, the Bee Institute uh, are thinking about how that valley could be a classroom outdoors and also be a catalyst for, for change in terms of teaching methodology. So we're not going to do what other people have done. We're going to do the best of that. We'll take, we'll steal their best ideas unashamedly. But we're also going to give this a real academic intellectual flavor, which would be wonderful. The last thing that I'll, I'll bore you with is you, uh, on your list of questions, you, you asked what advice I would give to people, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, and <clears throat> I actually thought about it. I did some homework. And, um, well done. I know. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Uh, um, I always appreciate students who uh, hmm. do their homework. <laughs> I know. They can, they can be very rare and wonderful. Um, but I think the advice given, given to somebody who goes through the school, um, we've already used the phrase only connect. And I think it's a wonderful phrase because it's only two words and they're pretty simple, but they're profound as well. Um, and the other um, phrase that I put alongside that is know thyself, noske uh, te epsum. And that's important because, again, I think if you're going to connect with other people, know to whom you're connecting them. Uh, and we don't give young people the skills and opportunities to reflect upon who they are, upon what makes them tick, upon who they can be. And uh, creating a little bit of sense to move into introspection from projection is a vital counterbalance to the only connect thing. So I put those two words together, or two phrases together, know thyself um, and uh, only connect. And the last thing I'd probably say to them is, the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. So however you look to define things, just be, just leave space for the spirit, and that will bring things to a real vital color life. I appreciate you saying that because, um, uh, I mean, absolutely dramatically for me, because this morning uh, we went to chapel, and and uh, we were there first, you know, the other house was still coming, and there was a bit of chatter, and so at the end, the other house disappeared, and I said to the boys, you know, 
one of my words for the year is you have to be mindful. You've got to sit and you have to just sit, simply listen to yourself and take the time to connect for the day and not just simply chatter to the people around you. Mm. So that's a wonderful way to, um, to finish our conversation today. Absolutely, David. Thank you. Thank you for coming, Nicholas. My sincere thanks to Nicholas Sampson for this interview and for his vivid impressions of Cranbrook in its centenary year. I hope you will continue with me on this journey as we delve into the memories of Cranbrook and the many people who are connected with this great school.